This is Murder Bucket. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. It has been quite a long time since we had an episode, and we're going to jump right into our week-slash-weekend recap because I'm going to tell you why there hasn't been an episode in a while. December was, I would say, a complete disaster fire. I believe in the last episode that we had, I talked to you about how my grandfather fell and hit his head and was in the hospital. Unfortunately, my 94-year-old grandfather did pass away. So my husband and I attempt to travel to his funeral. And when I say the word attempt, I mean we really attempted. About 50 seconds before we were supposed to board the plane and the doors were going to close on this airplane, my brother calls and says, I have COVID, don't come. So we three-way our father into this, and my father says, go ahead and come to see who you can. Then I also have the gate attendant telling me, you need to decide what you're doing or I'm closing the doors to this airplane. So we decide to go. The funeral home has already postponed the funeral because of my brother. My grandmother the next morning, 93, tested positive for COVID as well. Then at the end of the time that we are there, my sister-in-law tests positive. So we ultimately had the strangest vacation ever. Never got to see my brother. Saw my grandmother from a distance twice. So she never got to play with my daughter or see us or hug us or really do anything with us. And then I saw my sister-in-law for about an hour. And that was about it. Then when I got home, I was okay for a couple of days. And then I started to feel sick. I was like, oh no, I hope I don't have COVID. I hope I didn't get too close to somebody and now I have it. Thankfully, I did not test positive for COVID. I believe I had a sinus infection that lasted almost two weeks. I never went to the doctor because I thought I could just take something over the counter and it'll be fine. Well, of course, I was sick for two weeks straight. As you can tell, I lost my voice and it still hasn't completely come back. I still have a very slight cough. But other than that, I'm okay. My grandfather's funeral ended up being two weeks later than it was supposed to be. And unfortunately, we weren't able to travel back down there because we had already used the leave that we had to go down there. So a good friend of mine that I grew up with that now tutors one of my brother's children, who is friends with them now, attended the funeral because he had become really close with our family and graciously took pictures and took videos so that I could at least see something, which was very kind of him. And of course, I have watched it numerous times. And no matter how many times I watch the videos that he sent, I still, I cry every time. Please bear with me as I'm going to get super real with you and I might tear up and cry just a little bit. The majority of you probably don't know who my grandfather was or don't know who he was. My grandfather was a incredible man of God. He was very devoted to his relationship with God and the church that he and my grandmother attended. He read his Bible from cover to cover numerous times. He wrote in journals every single day for the majority of his life. And one of the things that really stuck out to me in one of the speeches that was given at his funeral was by the pastor that was at their church when they attended at the time that said, if you are not grieving the loss of him, then you really did not know him. 
And of course, I am grieving the loss of him because a lot of things happened and I couldn't be there. And it was very painful to not be there. Today is also another hard day as today would have been my mother's 63rd birthday. Unfortunately, my mother passed away in 2017. And no matter how many birthdays, Christmases, Thanksgivings, really any holidays pass, no matter how many years pass, it doesn't get easier. I was once told in a therapy session that you can picture grief like a piece of paper. When that tragedy or loss occurs, that piece of paper is right in front of your face. It is surrounding everything. It is blocking the view from all the things around you, from your other family members to your friends, to your hobbies, to your job, to any of your social things you used to do. And over the years, however long it takes, and everyone is different, that that piece of paper will start to slowly move away. The paper will eventually go to the other side of the room. It never 100% goes away. You can always see it. And sometimes it creeps up. Sometimes it gets closer. Sometimes it keeps moving backwards, but it never 100% goes away. And I tell you this with 100% certainty that if you are ever going through something, if you ever need someone to talk to, if you really just want an inbox to rant to and you don't want a response. I am here. I am open. I will listen to you. I won't respond if you don't want me to. Therapy is okay. Therapy is not a taboo thing. And it is okay to go to talk to somebody. It's okay. And don't let anyone tell you that it's not okay. You have to do what is right for you. And if talking to someone is right for you, then do it. Don't bottle it up. Don't hide it. Don't try to fix it yourself because that's what my mom tried to do. And obviously it did not work out for her. And of course, I desperately wish that she was still here, but I am very thankful that that she is in heaven, completely pain-free, no longer fighting her demons. She is with Jesus. She is with her father. And she is also with her brother. I'm sorry for getting super real on the podcast tonight, but I just had to kind of let you know what was going on and the reason why we were taking a break for a little while. Um, tonight's episode is going to be a continuation from the Fritz Harmon episode that we did in December. We're going to be talking about how he was found out about, um, the gruesome details of what he did to his victims. So this is a trigger warning right now. We're going to be talking about his trial and, of course, discussing his Last Supper and then his execution. So without further ado, we have part two of our Last Supper series, Fritz Harmon. We're going to jump right back into where we left off in December and talk about how he ended up getting discovered. Two children were playing near the Lane River on May 17, 1924 and stumbled across a human skull. When police arrived, they were able to determine that it belonged to a young male between the ages of 18 and 20. They noticed knife wounds and began to speculate that the male was a murder victim. 
Two weeks later, a second skull was found on May 29th near a mill race close to the area where the first skull was found. According to Google.com, a mill race is the current of water that turns a water wheel or the channel conducting water to or from a water wheel. Police determined that the second skull also belonged to a young male between the ages of 18 and 20. Just a few days later, two boys were playing in a field close to Duran and discovered a sack that contained several human bones. After these discoveries, several hundred Hanover residents came to the Lane River on June 8th to search the banks of the river and the surrounding areas. They discovered several human remains which were handed over to the police. In response to these discoveries, the police decided to drag the entire section of the river. They discovered more than 500 further human bones and sections of those bones bore knife striations. Medical examiners confirmed later that the bones belonged to at least 22 different individuals. About 30% of the human remains were determined to belong to young males between the ages of 15 and 20. On June 13th, two additional skulls were found, one near the banks of the Line River and the other close to a mill in West Hanover. Both skulls appeared to have been removed from the vertebrae with a sharp instrument. One skull belonged to a male in his late teens, and the other belonged to a male between the ages of 11 and 13. Police immediately began to suspect that Fritz was to blame because he was well known to both the police and the criminal investigation department as a homosexual who had amassed over 15 convictions dating from 1896 for various offenses including child molestation, sexual assault, and battery of a minor. He was also connected to a 1918 disappearance of Friedel Roth and Herman Koch. Police placed him under surveillance on June 18, 1924. On June 22nd, two undercover officers who were patrolling the Hanover station observed Fritz's movements. He was seen arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Carl Fromm and was approached by the officers. To throw Fritz for a loop, the officers arrested Carl on charges of traveling with forged documents. Carl informed the police later that he had been sexually assaulted by Fritz several times with a knife held to his neck. The next morning, police arrested Fritz. When police searched his apartment, the walls, flooring, and bedding were bloodstained. He tried to explain this by telling police that he was an illegal contraband meat trader. The clothes and personal possessions found in his apartment were suspected to be the property of many missing youth. Everything found was taken back to the police station and put on display. The reason for this was to allow the parents of the missing youth to come to the station and identify anything as belonging to their children. As suspected, almost all of the items were identified as belonging to the missing youth. Fritz, of course, attempted to dismiss the fact that he had had these things in his possession as acquiring them from others and not getting them firsthand. On June 29th, clothes, boots, and keys were found hidden in Fritz's apartment and were later identified as belonging to missing 18-year-old Robert Witzel. His skull was found in a garden on May 20th. Fritz tried to get out of this one as well, but that didn't last long. Fritz ended up confessing to sexually assaulting, killing, and dismembering many young men 
in what he initially described as a rabid sexual passion between 1918 and 1924. Fritz claims that he never intended to kill anyone, but was overcome with the urge to bite their Adam's apples, which in turn forced him to strangle them. All of his victims' bodies were disposed of via dismemberment shortly after they were killed because Fritz stated that he found the act of dismemberment unsettling. Please keep in mind that the next piece of information that I am sharing with you is coming directly from Fritz Harmon's case and everything that he described to the police, and I am no way telling you how to do something. So please do not take it that way. If also you get grossed out by specifics and details, please skip over this specific section, okay? Fritz described to the police what he had to do to get into the mood to dismember his victims. Here are the steps. Pour himself a hot cup of very strong black coffee. Put the body on the floor. Cover their face with a cloth. Remove the intestines and place them in a bucket. Place a towel inside the body cavity to soak up the blood. Make three cuts between the victim's ribs and shoulders. Push as hard as possible until the bones around the shoulders broke. Remove the heart, lungs, and kidney. Dice them up and place them in the bucket with the intestines. Remove the arms and legs from the torso. Begin paring the flesh from the limbs and torso. Sever the head from the torso. Strip all the flesh from the skull. Wrap the skull in rags and place the face downwards on a pile of straw. Bludgeon with an axe until the skull splintered so that the brain could be reached. Place the brain in the bucket with the other organs. Throw everything into the Lane River. Fritz told police several times that the intact skulls that were found in the Lane River were none of his victims and that the identification of Robert Witzel was wrong. Police discovered so much evidence that suggested several of Fritz's murders had been planned either hours or days in advance, even though he claimed that he killed them on a whim. Police also realized that he could only confess to murders for which they had existing evidence against him. When he was asked how many victims he killed, he replied, somewhere between 50 to 70, but the police were only able to connect him to the murders of 27. Fritz and Hans's trial began on December 4, 1924. Fritz was charged with the murder of 27 boys and young men who had disappeared between 1918 and 1924. In 14 of those cases, Fritz admitted to guilt but refused to admit his guilt on the last 13. Hans pleaded not guilty to charges of being an accessory to murder in several of those. The judge presiding over the trial refused to have spectators in the courtroom during the first few days because each of the murders were discussed in detail. The trial was one of the first media events in Germany and received extensive press coverage. Fritz was named the Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, and Wolfman. During the trial, when photos of the victims were shown, Fritz would become dismissive and claim that he was unable to recognize any of his victims. But as soon as photos of the victim's clothing or possession were shown, his only response would be, Yeah, I probably killed them. Or, charge it to me. It's all right with me. 
there were numerous exhibits introduced into evidence during the opening days. This included 285 sections of skeletal structure that was recovered from the Lane River, the bucket he stored and transported human remains, and the bloodstained bed where he more than likely killed all of his victims. During the second week of trial, police scrutiny started to arise because testimony brought to light how much the police knew about Fritz's criminal activities after his 1918 release from prison, but never suspected him for any of the cases of the missing boys and young men between 1923 and 1924, even though several of the victims were last seen with him or around him. 190 witnesses testified during the trial that lasted barely two weeks. On December 19, 1925, the court found Fritz guilty of 24 out of 27 murders, and he was sentenced to death by beheading. He was acquitted for the three murders to which he denied committing. After the verdict and sentencing was read, Fritz stood up in the courtroom and stated this, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily. Hans was found guilty of incitement and was sentenced to death by beheading in relation to the murder of Adolf Hannapel, with the additional sentence of 12 years in prison for being an accessory to the murder of Fritz Wittick. According to Google.com, incitement is the encouragement of another person to commit a crime. He became hysterical after hearing the verdict. Once back in his cell, he collapsed. Fritz made no attempts to appeal against the verdict. He claimed that his death would atone for his crimes and stated that if he were able, he would kill again. Hahn submitted an appeal against his sentence and he was rejected on February 6, 1925. So what was Fritz Harmon's last meal? He asked for the following, an expensive cigar and Brazilian coffee. Now, I really just don't understand either of these requests. Why go out with the last taste of a cigar and coffee in your mouth? Now, I do like coffee, but I don't think that is the last thing that I want to drink. I have tried several different cigars in my day, but I just really don't like them. I probably would have picked something like super carby or like super sweet or something. Maybe a really good steak or potatoes or something. Not just a nasty cigar and some coffee. I don't have any information about what Hans Granz asked for as his last meal. So I'm really sorry if you were interested in that as well. At 6 a.m. on April 15, 1925, Fritz Harmon was beheaded by a guillotine in the grounds of the Hanover prison. His executioner was Karl Groppler. Fritz was not informed of his execution date until the night before. He requested that before he was beheaded that he observe prayer with his pastor. No members of the press were permitted to witness the execution and the event was only witnessed by a small handful of people. Fritz Harmon's last words were, I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard though it may be, I want to die as a man. I repent, but I do not fear death. These are the known victims of Fritz Harmon and Hans Granz, and I am apologizing in advance if I get the name pronunciations wrong. I really tried, so just bear with me. Hermann Koch, 14. Friedel Roth, 17. 
Hans Kimes, 17, Fritz Frank, 17, Wilhelm Schultz, 17, Roland Hutch, 16, Hans Sonfeld, 19, Ernest Ehrenberg, 13, Heinrich Strube, 18, Paul Bronischewski, 17, Richard Graff, 17, Wilhelm Erdner, 18, Harmon Wolf, 15, Heinz Brinkman, 13, Adolf Hannapel, 17, Adolf Hanneis, 19, Ernest Specker, 17, Henrik Koch, 20, Willie Singer, 19, Herman Speckert, 16, Herman Bach, 22, Alfred Hogreff, 16, Wilhelm Apel, 16, Robert Witzel, 18, Heinz Martin, 14, Fritz Wittig, 17, Frederick Abling, 10, Frederick Koch, 16, and Eric DeVries, 17. And that concludes part two of Fritz Harmon. And now we're going to transition into True Crime The House of Representatives voted to expel Representative George Santos from Congress for his alleged finance crimes and his campaign lies. Lawmakers voted 311 to 114 to oust the New York Republican. He is the sixth House member in U.S. history to be booted from Congress. A massive explosion engulfed a home in Arlington, Virginia, as police were investigating a man who fired a flare gun dozens of times inside the home. Neighbors reported possible shots fired, and police then determined that someone had fired the flare gun inside. After police obtained a search warrant for the home and attempted to make contact with the suspect over the phone and through loudspeakers, the explosion happened. It took the fire department over two hours to control the fire. Manuel Rocca, a former career American diplomat, has been charged with serving as a secret agent for communist Cuba going back decades in what prosecutors portrayed as one of the most brazen and long-running betrayals in the history of the U.S. Foreign Service. The 73-year-old, whose two-decade career as a U.S. diplomat included top posts in Bolivia, Argentina, and the U.S. Interest Section in Havana. He was arrested by the FBI at his Miami home. The Colorado Supreme Court weighed whether former President Donald Trump should be kept off the state's ballot under a rarely invoked provision of the 14th Amendment in a closely watched legal fight that is likely to land before the United States Supreme Court. The U.S. has charged four Russian soldiers with war crimes after they allegedly abducted and tortured an American citizen last year who was living in southern Ukraine. The U.S. Justice Department said the accused Russians kidnapped the American in April of 2022 from his home in the village of Mylov in Kyrgyzstan province, where he lived with his Ukrainian wife. According to the indictment, he was severely beaten on several occasions. They stripped him, tied his hands behind his back, and hit him with their fists, feet, and the stocks of their guns. They also photographed him naked, threatening him with sexual assault, and carried out a mock execution. This involved asking the American for his last words, 
putting a gun to the back of his head and then firing a bullet just past him. Three people were killed and one person was wounded in a shooting at the University of Nevada's campus. The suspect was killed by officers who rushed to the scene at UNLV. The campus remained closed for the week. The gunman was identified as a former professor. The victims were identified as business school professors Patricia Navarro-Velez and Jerry Chang, as well as associate professor of Japanese studies Nayoko Takamaru. Ethan Crumbly, 17, pleaded guilty to terrorism and murder charges last year for killing four students and injuring seven more with a semi-automatic handgun in November of 2022. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Marvin Haynes spent most of his life behind bars for a crime he never committed. When he was 16, he was charged with a murder in 2004 and convicted the following year. The now 36-year-old had his conviction vacated by a Minnesota court. The judge apologized for how the officers handled the case nearly two decades ago. A Washington, D.C. judge has ordered Rudy Giuliani to pay nearly $150 million to two Georgia election workers for the harm caused by the defamatory statements that he made about them following the 2020 election. Because of the payment, he has filed for bankruptcy. A grand jury in Mississippi determined that there was no criminal conduct on behalf of the officer who shot and wounded an 11-year-old boy in his home. Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch stated that her office will take no further action against Sergeant Greg Capers. Carlos Moore, the attorney representing the family of Adrian Murray, told NPR that despite the grand jury's decision, the shooting was not justified and that he will continue to pursue the case. Federal prosecutors in Montana charged two men for allegedly killing about 3,600 birds, including bald and golden eagles, during a killing spree on Montana's Flathead Indian Reservation and in several other places. The men worked with others to hunt and kill the birds. They then conspired with others to sell eagle feathers, tails, wings, and other parts for significant sums of cash across the U.S., the indictment said the killings began in January of 2015 and continued until 2020 near Ronan, Montana on the Flathead Reservation. It did not say how many of the 3,600 birds killed were eagles. They were charged with violating the Lacey Act, a law that bans trafficking of illegally taken wildlife, fish, or plants. They also faced 13 counts of trafficking bald and golden eagles and one count of conspiracy. 14 people were killed and more than 20 others wounded in a shooting rampage at the Charles University in the Czech Republic. The gunman, a 24-year-old student in world history at the university, also killed himself after the shooting spree in central Prague. The police say they believe he first killed his father in their family home in a village near the town of Kladno, outside of Prague. Savannah Soto and her boyfriend Matthew Garrow went missing just days before she was supposed to be induced to have her baby. Their bodies were found inside their vehicle in San Antonio, Texas. Their deaths have been listed as capital murder due to the death of the unborn child. 
Their bodies are believed to have been in their car for three to four days prior to being found. And finally, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, the child abuse victim who pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison, was released three years early. Gypsy grew up believing that she suffered from conditions including leukemia, muscular dystrophy, vision and hearing impairments, and seizures. She used a wheelchair, a feeding tube, and underwent several surgeries that were later determined unnecessary. Her mother suffered from Munchausen's by proxy syndrome. Before you go tonight, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at the Lucky Die podcast. You see, looking up from the ground, blood red clouds boiling across the sky. You did ask me to bring the thunder. Dejan! <laughs> Dejan! Uh, help! I've got the chalice, please! Well, if they're following you, then I guess that takes care of a loose end for me. <laughs> All of you feel the earth beneath you shake and crack and break. I feel that I have failed both of you, and I am sorry for that. This has nothing to do with you being a bad leader. Do you want a countdown? Oh, I think I want a countdown. I want to help. I always had good two, intention. I did not deserve to die. Now. The Lucky Die Podcast is a weekly 5e Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Join our adventure every Monday wherever you download podcasts by searching for The Lucky Die. And that concludes tonight's episode. Thank you for listening.